Welcome to Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks from Zenki Dillo Roshi, the guiding teacher at the Boulder Zen Center in Boulder, Colorado. If you are enjoying these talks and you would like to dive deeper into the topics discussed by Zenki Roshi in this podcast, consider becoming a premium subscriber. This will give you access to recorded Q&A sessions related to each talk, as well as previously unreleased talks from our intensives. Becoming a premium subscriber helps to support the continuation of the podcast and Zanki Roshi's teachings. Learn more about it by clicking the link in the show notes. As always, you're welcome to join us live for these Dharma Talks. You can join us online via Zoom or in person. You can find a link to our website with the Dharma Talk schedule and more information also in the show notes. Now here's Zanki Roshi. Good afternoon. I quoted uh, Dogen yesterday from this fascicle, Undivided Activity, so I thought maybe I'll give you the full beginning of this fascicle. It's my favorite fascicle, and it's uh, the Japanese title is Zenki. But it's a different Zenki. <laughs> different... Um, My name is a different Zenki. Unfortunately, fortunately, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> uh, the great way of all Buddhas, thoroughly practiced, is liberation and realization. Liberation is when in birth you are liberated from birth and in death. And uh, in death you are liberated from death. There is a detachment from birth and death. And there is penetration of birth and death. There is letting go of birth and death, and there is vitalizing of birth and death. This is the thorough practice. Such is the thorough practice of the Great Way. Realization is birth, and birth is realization. At the time of realization, there's nothing but birth fully actualized, and there's nothing but death fully actualized. And then I'm skipping some things. And then it says, birth right now is undivided activity. Undivided activity is birth right now. Okay, that's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's that kind of statement, right? This is what's fascinating about it. It's like the great way of all Buddhas thoroughly practiced is liberation and realization. So it's just two things, you know. And then he tells us what those are. Now, maybe it's useful to acknowledge that in early Buddhism, um, birth is something you want to get out of. Birth is suffering. Birth and rebirth is the cycle of samsara. And it's like, it, this is not what, what you want to be stuck in. This is something you want to um, step away from into nirvana. So when Dogen says realization is birth and birth is realization, this is extraordinary. This is a new paradigm. I mean, not entirely new with Dogen, but it's a different paradigm. It's not that our practice is we're trying to go to a different place. There's detachment from birth and death. This is kind of going to a different place. You know? There's a detachment from birth and death. But there's also penetration of birth and death. This is like arriving more fully in birth and death. So both. Both of those sides, detachment and Penetration, letting go and vitalizing. I like that. Vitalizing death. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, both, both these sides, he's discussing, he's pointing us to, to explore. Now, I, I've said this a number of times because I find it so striking, is that I think in our Western worldview, when we think of birth, we tend to think, you can tell me if that's true for you or not, but that when something or somebody is born, um, it... When something is born, it arrives. I'm th- I'm talk I'm continue to talk about birth as appearance. Okay. It's literally what we call birth, but it's also appearance. Just moment after moment appearance. And but let's talk about birth as actually the act of being born. I think our view is that somebody who's born arrives on the stage of the world. Like, we don't quite know where they're coming from, but then they arrive on the stage of the world. And we say, welcome. You know, little birth card. We welcome, you know, such and such into this world. Mm. 
I think this baby that was born in my imagination right now was a soul living in heaven somewhere. And it was incarnated on the stage of the world. And when this baby dies, then it gets disembodied and again as a soul goes to some other place. Something like that. I don't think we think about it much, but it's underlying our notion of birth. The My understanding of a Buddhist view is more that there is that what is born emerges from innumerable causes and conditions. So it arises out of the world. It doesn't land on the stage of the world. The world is un, is is um as Dogen says here, is undivided activity, all kinds of causes and conditions, interdependence. And then something arises from it. And when it dies, it you know it emerges. And I thought like maybe we'd say it re-emerges with the world when it dies. So it doesn't really die. I mean, from the point of view of totality, from the point of view of undivided activity, nothing dies. Nothing is ever lost. You can't, like, get rid of something. It's just, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, I think, suggested that it's be better to talk not of birthdays, but of continuation days. Yeah, that kind of idea. It's like everything just continues in different form. The world is continuous birth and continuous death. And so from the point of view of totality, nothing is ever lost. But from the point of view of the particular, things are lost all the time. You see? Nothing is preserved. From the point of the particular, I'm saying, this moment is now gone. If you want to hold on to things, this is very disappointing. <laughs> very disappointing. It's constant loss. But from the point of view of undivided activity, Nothing is lost. Everything is just constantly transformed. Form forming into new form. Continuous birth and continuous death. This is the view that I think is underlying this. I think we are um, we're interested in liberation. And um, 
Deliberation is liberation from suffering. From discontent, from dissatisfaction. So just like I said, if you expect to hold on to things, it's, it's disappointing the way the world is. So non-suffering, contentment, uh, would be, uh, would require that we align ourselves with how the world is. Continuous birth and continuous death. Suffering, discontentment would be uh, wanting the world to be other than it is. Right? That's how it's said. So here we're pointed to the way it is, is that it's constantly changing in this manner of birthing and dying. You have to kind of hold yourself in a way that gives space to or allows for this to occur. Yeah, it's so difficult to understand what Buddhism means by, or what what non-self means. It's kind of like, here I am. What are you telling me? I don't exist. Or it's just like it just makes no sense. <laughs> On the surface, makes no sense. But you need to. I think you need to understand that that self always means permanent self. Something permanent. Something that you are in some lasting way. When you make room for for the world, yourself, everything, you know, to be continuous birth and continuous death, then it's not so difficult to understand what non-self means. It's just, um, it's a flux of experience. It's also a flux of identity, you know, or, you know, it's a flux of non-identity. If you want identity, that means like you're trying to hold on to something as fixed in the midst of this flux. And this worldview says, good luck, you know, it's probably not going to work out. It's, again, you know, if we... Um, if we feel into this deeply, it could be quite disappointing. There's nothing you can find as your self, as your unchanging self. You know, when somebody says, oh, I went on a retreat to find myself, you know, or to India. I went to India to find myself. Um, yeah. Like, what are we hoping for? And we go there to find ourselves. Like, what is that? You 
there's some idea that there's like a pre-existing true self that somehow could be tapped into if we can loop, if we can, if we can change our habitual context and just give ourselves enough different context that we could find something that is more authentically ourself. And then maybe we hope, so it's already, that, that true self, that authentic self is already existing. And so we need to find it. And then when we find it, we could build like a, a different life on that basis. Well, this, this, that's a different view. This is not, Dogen doesn't say that. He doesn't say go to India and find your true self. <laughs> Or on a retreat or sashin or something. Appearance right now, appearance right now, birth right now, life. There's also a translation for this word there in Japanese. Life right now is undivided activity. And um, undivided activity is life right now. So how do you... How do you appreciate what life right now is? Life right now is not an idea. Life right now is this moment. Be here. This. I'm sorry, I already took you into all these, like, you know, I just did what you shouldn't be doing, like, uh, thinking about stuff. <laughs> okay, I should go. Stop. Let's just sit down. You know, maybe sometimes I, I try to say it this way, like, look into the scene of your seeing and hearing right now. The presence of this. If you, if you want to understand yourself, it's like that which you are looking, hearing, feeling into is the undivided activity that brings brings forth what, you know, this body and mind. This acknowledgement of immediacy is... Um, it's not passive. It's not like, hmm, let's see what immediacy 
is doing to me. It's very active. It's like, sometimes I think it's sort of like, mm, it's so difficult to get rid of this image of a person, a self at the center of things, uh, which is fine. But it's like you're in a pool or in the ocean, let's say, and you're splashing about. You're making waves. So there's like act- there's activity that comes from the self. You know, it's like you do stuff. You walk around. You wave your arms. You talk. You listen. All of this is making waves. But they're already waves. You're not the only one making waves. Everyone's making waves. So what you have to deal with in your wave making is all the waves that are already happening around you. Am I making any sense? So it's a very inter-penetrating process. But you're not, you're not a passive, like floating around thing on waves. You're making waves and waves are coming and your wave making has to Deal with the wave, with the waves that are already coming, or happening. But then all those waves are, you know, you can't, you can't decide. Is this my wave? Was this like, it's, it's just waves that are um, co-emerging. My not quite three-year-old son recently he said he he was like he was experimenting with his eyes. I thought it was quite extraordinary. He was like he was closing his eyes and he said, dark. And he was opening his eyes and then he said, truck. <laughs> and he was closing his eyes, and said, dark. Truck. And then he was looking, and he was looking into the light, and then he said, "Orange." <clears throat> so he discovered that the world is not just given, right? That the sensorial activity of the body is participating in making the world. He realized this at you know two years, eight months old. <clears throat> He's not philosophizing about it, but he's playing around with it. Hmm, I could, like, just close my eyes, then the world disappears. I can open my eyes, then trucks appear. This, this acti- this participation in sensorially making the world is, is also what I mean by you're making waves. Because we can look away or we can look more closely. He, another thing he does now is like he has the main question is, what is this? Very Zen. What is this? Um, he really wants an answer. And a while ago, it was just like, you know, you say microphone and then you, this is microphone in front of me, so any object, you know, you say, oh, stick, you know. But then, they, but what is this? And then it's like, I don't know what you mean. And then he, he wants to know about the detail. 
of, of the, on the thing. Like, but what is this? And then it goes on and on. And then I don't have words for it anymore. It's like I have to... <laughs> I don't know what to name these parts that he wants to know what they are. I'm realizing when I teach him all the words, what things are, he's doing what we are all doing, where he's constructing a world as put together by things. It's like this and this and this and this. And when you take it all together, that's the world. The world, the visual world seems to be that way, you know, that we can divide it up into things. But it's like, we, it's, it takes practice to set that worldview aside and practice the worldview of undivided activity and see objects as activities. They're not static. We don't see their integra- disintegration so much. You know, we see leaves disintegrating, but, you know, our man-made objects we just put in the trash and then the disintegration happens somewhere <laughs> So in our mind, maybe the microphone stays intact forever. It's not true. Comes apart. Dies. Sometimes I think there's two ways in which Zen practice occurs. At least the way I was taught it. You know, we're not doing koan practice and There's um you work with your worldviews on the one hand and you meditate and practice mindfulness. And the worldview that Buddhism offers is different from the worldview that we are growing up with in our culture, and so it takes time to appreciate the difference in the worldview and sort of like you need to like talk yourself into this different worldview i'm trying i'm trying to talk you into this different worldview and then you meditate and in in meditation you open yourself up to different kinds of experiences and then there's some alchemy where your experience can your different experience through meditation can confirm the different worldview that you've been studying. And then it feels like, hmm, it really is this way, or it can be seen this way. But that's, it takes time. Let's let's experiment with this a little bit. When I ask you, what is your mind? What do you answer? 
<laughs> what mind? Don't evade the question. <laughs> no, um, not expecting you to say anything, but. What is your mind? I think you might say um, it's a stream of thoughts. You can use other words to sort of um, add to this basic idea that it's like a stream of thoughts, you could say it's ideas, it's concepts, it's memories, it's plans, it's um, you know all that. Where is your mind? If it's thoughts, ideas, concepts, memories, then maybe you say like, oh, it's in my head. It feels like that stuff is going on in my head. So my mind is in my head. Well, maybe you don't have these like simplistic, erroneous ideas. Uh, I do. You know, most people do, and they, and, and then, you know, if you kill yourself in the West, you shoot yourself in the head because that's where you live. That's your mind, and you identify with your mind. <laughs> and we now have this identification of the mind and the brain. So the brain is here. So the mind and the brain are this, it's an information processing system. It's, like your organic computer and it lives in your head. So you're, you're justified by the main view of our culture, if you have this thought. Now, if you're, if you're a little bit more woo-woo and psychologically inclined, you would allow feelings into your mind <laughs> and emotions and such. And you would recognize that somehow feelings are not just abstract thoughts. They somehow are accompanied with bodily sensations. So you, you need to allow your body somehow into the notion of your mind. Or else you have a rational mind that is divorced from feelings and emotions. And, you know, then those belong to the body and the mind is separate from the body. Yeah. You understand? So, like, if you, if you don't want that kind of dualism between body and mind, then you need to say, like, well, maybe I have to expand the notion of the mind and I have to allow feelings and emotions to reside in the, in the mind as well. So you, you're not just in your body anymore, in your head anymore. It's, it also includes the body. So then you have something like a body-mind. So then thoughts are thoughts, ideas, concepts, and so are uh, are part of the mind and and feelings and emotions are part of the mind too. But what about what about attention? 
Where does attention reside? Does it reside in the head? Does it reside in the body? What is attention? Like, if I attend to uh, this painting over there, you know, I'm stretching a little bit. I have to look past, so I have to actually, I have to direct my attention over there. It, it does the attention reside here in this body mind, or does it reside in the space, or is it like over there, or what? What, do you, what would you say? Is the attention does it have a place? A location? How, how, like, what is the relationship between the appearance of this entire scene that I asked you to look into and place yourself in with your presence? Um, this scene, where is it? What it's, what is its relationship to attention? I think it's 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 reasonable to say that without attention nothing appears. Or dependent on where your direct your attention is directed different things appear. If I direct my attention this way, this appears and if I direct my attention this way, this appears. So is attention located in in the body and mind or is it located in space. I think it's I think it's quite reasonable to treat attention as a spatial phenomenon. It also has directionality, but it is you can you know when you practice soft eyes or spreading out your vision or something I've mentioned when you look at everything all at once and nothing in particular, then you're spreading out, not so much vision, but you're spreading out attention. And so everything appears, but nothing in particular. And when you narrow attention, then some particular appears. So like my son, um, dark truck, you know, you could say field in particular, <laughs> depending on what you do with your attention, different things appear. So your attention is an agent. So what if we allow attention into the notion of the mind too? Then the mind is not in the head and it's not in the, in the body, it's in space. The mind and what we call space are kind of the same thing. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to fall into this trap of like, oh, if space is the mind, then, you know, I am everything or, um, 
Well, you, you kind of, kind of true, but only kind of. Okay, let's put this aside. <laughs> and Dogen says something like, this is a creative translation, but he, um, he says in Uji, the time being, he says, place yourself in immediacy. That's what I asked you to do, right? Place yourself in immediacy. And consider it the entire universe. The entire universe is the entirety of space. Place yourself in immediacy and consider it the entire universe. It doesn't mean it is the entire universe. It just means hold the view that it is the entire universe. If you hold it, if you hold the view that the mind, attention, the medium through which immediacy, the medium of immediacy, the medium of immediacy, that doesn't make any sense. Let's just say immediacy. Attentional immediacy. Consider that the entire universe. Or, in this other language, consider it undivided activity. That's taking a view. It's like you practice something when you do this. It's not like, oh, that's the way the world is. You are looking at it in this way. There you can look at it in different ways, like the what the way your culture taught you that the world is a constellation of separate entities, that's one way to view the world and it functions, it works. We can we can function this way. But the idea is that if you take this view of undivided activity and attentional immediacy, that this is a gate to non-suffering. Because you don't see yourself as separate from the world and, you know, are in this, like, dualistic mode of separation. You find yourself being continually born from this attentional field. You can splash about. You better enjoy it. But if you want to enjoy splashing in the waves and making waves, then um, you need to enjoy loss and death. Death means disappearance. To count on impermanence. That's the hard thing. Like in Zazen, you know, you have a blissful experience. Feels great. Ha, I've arrived. I found my posture. I'm blissed out. And then it's gone. Later, I mean, it's gone. It does. It happens. 
then you want to go back to it. When you want to go back to it, you recognize, what I want you to do is recognize the energy that wants to hold on, that wants to grasp, that wants to make permanent. So it's a mixed blessing to feel good in Zazen. Because then you, well, it's fine. You activate this grasping, and then you can study it. Zazen isn't about being calm. It isn't about feeling good. It isn't about, you know, making yourself into a, a better person and practitioner. It's about maintaining an open field of attention. in which things can come and go. So there, are, there is a shift. There's a shift that you want to watch out for. There is, you know, my teacher described this as the, dis the distinction between the contents and the field of mind. So thoughts, ideas, concepts, memories, plans, feelings, emotions, those are all contents of mind. Yeah? And we get involved with them. Big time. You get involved with thoughts. You get involved with your feelings. You get involved with your emotions. You want them. You don't want them. This is, uh, this is being with the contents of mind. Now, if you can, you can practice labeling and then you can say idea, feeling, sight, sound, you know, some common mindfulness practice. Then you acknowledge the different contents of mind. Who's doing the acknowledging? Who's doing the labeling? We say, I'm doing the labeling. Yeah, okay. If you say I, you've just created another content. It's this. It's this I. The field of mind is, is kind of like spatially extended attention. And within it, everything appears. So this open-mindedness that I say that that zazen is, is um, it's shifting from the contents to the field. Hold yourself as spatially extended attention. If there's anything that deserves the name true self, it's that spatially extended attention, the field of awareness, the field of mind. But it has no form or color, has no identity. It's not like you can say, oh, it's male or female, or it's, you know, dark or white, or it's, you know, no. It's just attention. So you're not finding a personal self there. You're just finding a spatially extended attention that is hosting 
all of the appearances. Maybe this is a way, you know, Suzuki Rashi was pointing to small mind and big mind. Small mind is like the thing in the, the spinning in your head, or maybe it's feelings and emotions. We, you know, also small mind, big mind, field of awareness. But, but study this. Is the field of awareness separate from the appearances? I've just separated them. I say, oh, there's the field of awareness or the field of mind and then the contents of mind. Like, they're separate. But Suzuki Roshi says, big mind amplifies itself with all these appearances. It expresses itself through all the experiences. So there's a there's another undividedness there. It's like, yeah, we we step back into the field and are therefore not so involved with the contents, but we're not stepping into a different world, so it's not really separate from the contents. So let's go back to the beginning. Dogen says there's detachment from appearance and disappearance. This is knowing the field. And there's penetration of appearance and disappearance. This is recognizing the forms and contents as an expression of attention, of the field of attention. There's letting go, you know, you're too involved, so let it go. You practice equanimity, non-interference with the flux of experience. That's equanimity. That's letting go and detachment. And there's vitalizing. There's engagement with the world. Not engagement as if there's a self and then... No, there's just vital vitality of experience. We don't, we don't like, separate ourselves from that because we want to be in the transcendent state of never being bothered. There is detachment from birth and death, and there is penetration of birth and death. There is letting go of birth and death and vitalizing of birth and death. This such is the thorough practice of the Buddha way. Thank you very much.